Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody here this morning, morning hour chapel. Glad to see those of you who also are live streaming with us this morning. Um, one thing I wanted to say uh, with regards to the membership class, um, some of you have already signed up. Thank you for doing that. Some of you are thinking about signing up. Some of you are saying, why in the world would I ever sign up to become a member of a church? Um, I, I had someone this morning say, uh, I can find no biblical reason why I would join the church. And I said, well, good. That means I've got a couple of sermons that I need to start preparing. But if you have ever thought about uh, becoming a member and you kind of had that thought, well, why, why do I need to be a member? Why should I join the church? Uh, sign up for the class because we're going to actually be going into that. going to be talking about uh, why we become members of our, our home congregations. Um, taking the class does not uh, mean in any way that you have to join the church. If you decide after taking the class, this is not for me, you don't have to, uh, to join. But I would encourage you at least come and, and learn a little bit more about what membership means uh, for this congregation, for our denomination, and for the Church of Jesus Christ uh, throughout the world. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story this morning. Um, starts with a guy who has a rather bulging waistline. And before I go any further, this is not an autobiography, <laughs> as far as you know. So this guy, he's, he's overweight, and he's, he's kind of battling with his weight. And he realized that one of the things that causes him to be overweight is his love of donuts. And it's very easy for him to get donuts because every morning before he drives to work, he drives past his favorite donut shop and he just stops, he grabs some donuts, takes them to work, eats them throughout the day. And so he committed to taking a different route to work, so he decided instead of going past the donut shop, I'm gonna go a different way so I'm not faced with that temptation to go in and have these donuts. And he told his coworkers about this, and he said, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna eat donuts anymore, don't offer me donuts anymore, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding donuts. And about two weeks later, he accidentally drove past the donut shop, right? He, he took his old route past the donut shop, and when he got to work that morning, he had this big box of donuts. He walks in, he puts it down on the table in the break room, and his coworkers were like, what's, what's going on? You said that you were, you were giving up donuts. And the guy says, these are not ordinary donuts. These are the Lord's donuts. And of course, his coworkers said, what are you talking about? He said, today, on my way to the office, I accidentally drove past my favorite donut shop. And I saw all those glazed donuts and filled donuts and chocolate donuts calling my name from the window. And you could, the breeze was blowing just so that you could really smell the donut. You ever gone past the donut shop and you really smell the donuts? And he said, I, you know, I could, and I could smell it. And I had to, pr I prayed, I prayed for God to deliver me from the temptation of, of these donuts. And I said, Lord, if you don't want me to have these donuts, don't let me find a parking spot at my donut shop. But God showed me 
that he wanted me to have these donuts after my eighth trip around the block. He said, he said, he put a parking spot right there in the front, and I knew God wanted me to have these donuts. And, and isn't that how we often talk ourselves into a lot of things? <laughs> but this morning, we are uh, continuing on with our uh, journey with Jesus. And we spoke about Jesus' birth. We talked about Jesus' birth uh, throughout Advent. And then over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at his childhood. And we looked at um, this time between age 12 and age 30, talked about how Jesus learned the things that he learned and did the things that he did, and lived in obedience both to his heavenly father and to his, his human parents. And then last week, we talked about Jesus fulfilling all righteousness uh, through his baptism by John. And today we're, we're picking up our journey uh, with Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke 4, 1 to 2, uh, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So this leg of our journey picks up right after Jesus' baptism. Jesus was baptized. He came up out of the water. We, we heard God's voice say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We saw the spirit descend on him like a dove and, 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 and set on him. And just after this, the spirit, that same spirit that descended on him, led him into the wilderness. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And Luke is, a, Luke is a really good storyteller. He tells us what's going on. He tells us where Jesus is. He's telling us why he's there. And the reason he's there is that Jesus is going to be tempted by the devil. Now, before we go any further in, in this story in Luke, let's set things up a little bit because we want to understand exactly what is happening to Jesus during this 40 days. We want to talk a little bit about what temptation is. Next week, we're going to talk about what temptation isn't. But today, we're going to talk about what temptation is. And the definition of temptation is a thought, feeling, inclination, or tendency that invites us to violate some rule or expectation in exchange for personal satisfaction. Now, that's a mouthful. That is, a, that is a big definition. But let me just, let me just put it into, into real terms. In the case of our donut-loving friend, right? He creates his own rules. He wants to lose weight. He says, no more donuts. I'm not going to drive. I don't even drive past the place, so I'm not tempted to get donuts. So he sets his own rule, his own expectation, and then he breaks the rule. He drives, and he says accidentally. We can maybe believe that he accidentally drove past. He forgot. But then he uses excuses as to why he should stop and have a donut instead of just driving past and realizing, hey, I made a mistake. So biblically speaking, this thought, this feeling, this inclination, tendency, invites us to violate the law of God the commandments of God for our own personal <coughs> satisfaction. 
As Christians, we think about temptation a lot. We hear about temptation a lot. We're tempted to break God's commandments, and we are tempted to do that every single day. We're tempted to lie. We're tempted to cheat. We're tempted to steal. To do anything that will make ourselves feel good. Or make ourselves feel safe. Or make ourselves feel fulfilled. The overarching theme of temptation is self. Anytime you are tempted, you are tempted to trust yourself, to trust things outside of God to make you feel good. Self-love, self-care, self-accomplishment, self-pleasure, all of these things are things that we are tempted by. That's the theme of the temptation itself. And the temptation is always made so that we would break our relationship with God. Temptation is always at the expense of our relationship with God. Trade God for this. But our temptations are hardly ever very straightforward, right? They're not straightforward thoughts and feelings and inclinations and tendencies. I think if they were more straightforward, a lot of us would be able to resist temptation a little bit better. But they're not. They are subtle. And we're going to see through Jesus' temptation in the wilderness how subtle these things can be. Jesus was tempted to sin by God's enemy, the devil. Passage says that he was out there for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now, we think of the temptations, we only think of the three, right? Because we only read three of them. He was tempted all throughout this 40-day period. And we read about the last three temptations that happened on the last day. So first we read that Jesus, not only was he in the wilderness, but he fasted. When the 40 days were ended, he was hungry. Jesus didn't eat anything for 40 days. I can't, eat it. I can't not eat anything for 40 minutes sometimes. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and Captain Obvious Luke tells us he was hungry. Well, of course he was hungry. And the devil knew that he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Next temptation occurs in verses 5 to 7. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Final temptation is written in verses 9 through 11. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Three temptations. All of them, if we read them correctly, are an invitation for Jesus to sin against God. Make yourself some bread. Bow down and worship me. Jump off a building. You won't get hurt. On the surface, and, and because we've grown up, some of us, in church, and we've heard this passage talked about over and over again with Jesus being tempted, none of these seem particularly hard for Jesus to resist. I mean, I read through these, it's like, okay, turn, turn stone into bread. Well, of course, Jesus, you know, he wouldn't do that. He's definitely not going to bow down and worship the devil. That's easy, right? We might even say that they might be easy for us to resist. No, I'm not going to bow down to the devil. What is he, crazy? But these temptations and any temptation that you face, they're not straightforward if we really, really look at them. Temptation is most often manipulative. It is deceitful. It is persuasive. It is attractive. And most temptation is hidden in half-truths. Temptation is like the alligator snapping turtle. Stay with me just for a minute. The alligator snapping turtle. Anybody ever seen one of these before? They live down in the, in, in the southeast, kind of Florida, Georgia, those places. They, they're a freshwater turtle, and they're huge. They're, they're, they're just immense, and they're meat eaters like me. Usually, they, they eat fish because they, they live in the water, and they eat fish, and they rely on a uniquely deceitful but very attractive method of foraging for fish. The turtle will lie completely still on the floor of a lake or a river and just sit there with its mouth wide open. And at the end of the turtle's tongue is this small pink appendage. It looks like a worm. And the, the turtle will sit there very still and he'll have his tongue out and he'll wiggle his tongue to make that worm-like appendage look like attractive to a fish. And when the fish sees the worm, and you guys have been fishing before, right? The fish sees the worm, goes over, wants to eat it, snap! And the alligator snapping tur turtle will eat that fish. And the jaws are just tremendously strong. I watched some videos this week of this guy, like, they put like a, a, a watermelon up to him and it snapped and like the entire the whole shell and like a quarter of the watermelon gone. I mean, these things are strong. And the turtle uses his tongue as temptation. He sits there and he waits and he says, come on, little fishy. Have the worm, come on. The turtle offers something to the fish 
that looks like something the fish wants. It acts like something the fish wants. And, and it might even be something the fish needs if the fish is hungry. It looks like this tasty worm and it moves around, but it's not a worm. It's an invitation to death. If we look at what is happening with this turtle and with this fish, the turtle is inviting the fish to die so that he can feed himself. Now, for the rest of this morning, I want to only look at the first of these temptations by the devil of Jesus. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you were the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, when the devil tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread, he wasn't just saying, here, feed yourself. Take care of yourself. He was saying, Jesus, look to yourself to satisfy your needs and your wants. Don't turn to God. Ignore God. You can do this yourself. You can turn this stone into bread and feed yourself, and you don't have to worry about it. But that temptation, if we look at it in that way, is a trap. And we know it's a trap. The devil is not just saying, if you're the son of God, command these stones to turn to bread so that you can have something to eat because you've been hungry for the last 40 days. What the devil is really saying here is practice self-care. You need to eat. There's nothing out here in the wilderness. But you can do something about that. Feed yourself, Jesus. Take care of yourself. You can't possibly do ministry if you don't take care of yourself. And I mean, that sounds accurate, doesn't it? We talk about taking care of ourselves all the time. But the devil was inviting Jesus to use his power for selfish reasons, not for the reasons that God gave him those powers. And had Jesus agreed to make bread, he would have been acting in a place of selfishness, maybe in a place of pride. Oh yeah, you doubt I'm the son of God? I'll show you I'm the son of God. Boom, pumpernickel. he might act out of that sense of pride. But mostly what he would have been saying is, I don't need the Father. I can do it myself. And sometimes when we get similar temptations, what we're saying is, I don't trust the Father. I don't trust him to meet my needs. Which is really interesting especially as Christians, because we know that God established early on that he gives us everything. He created this entire universe for human beings, for us. In Genesis 9-3, God speaks to uh, Noah after the flood. And he says to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be yours for food. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. You have a whole smorgasbord in front of you now. I only gave you the plants first. Now I'm giving you the animals too. 
You get to have all of these things, and I am giving them to you. I give you food. In Genesis 3.21, after Adam and Eve had sinned, after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God's one commandment, God still provided for them. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. I give you food. I give you clothing. And when Jesus was teaching, he told us that God provides these things. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, we're not going to read the whole thing, but we see Jesus telling us not to be anxious about anything. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about water. Don't worry about clothing. He tells us that God will take care of those things. He says, God takes care of the birds, doesn't he? Aren't you more important than birds? God clothes the flowers and the trees and the whole earth. Aren't you more important than all of those things? And in verses 31 to 33, we read, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. God will feed you. God will clothe you. God will provide for you. He will take care of you. Seek God. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness and let God take care of the rest. Don't worry about it. That's what Jesus tells us to do as disciples. And how many of us are anxious? How many of us worry? How many of us fret over things? Because it's human nature. But we really got to think, am I trusting God for everything? And that's the temptation. And Jesus showed us kind of the response to that temptation in the wilderness. When the devil told him, here, turn this stone into bread, Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. <coughs> This is what Luke says in Matthew. Matthew fleshes it out. Matthew says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is more important than whether or not I eat. And this passage, this response is directly from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is how Jesus responded to the temptation of taking care of himself, of ignoring the Father and taking it on himself to take care of those things for which the Father has already told us, I'm taking care of it for you. In this passage in Deuteronomy, it says, I, uh, I humbled you, or he humbled you and he let you hunger. This is the Israelites wandering through uh, the wilderness 
just like Jesus right now, is wandering through the wilderness. And it says, I let you hunger, just like God let Jesus hunger for 40 days. God let Jesus be hungry. And Jesus tells the devil that just like the father fed his people for, with manna from heaven, which they had never seen, it's heavenly bread. It's food from God. Just like he took care of them, he's going to take care of me. Now this temptation revolves around our human need to sustain life. We need to breathe, right? We need to eat. But it's really about our attitude and our belief about where we get our breath, where we get our food, where we get our provision. Do we trust God to provide for all of our human needs? And there's a whole spectrum of human needs. Anybody here study psychology at all? Maslow, right? The hierarchy of needs. There's like this whole list of things that, that people need. There's physiological things. You need to breathe. You need to eat. You need to drink water or you're going to die. There's a need to feel safe. There's a need to feel a connection to family. There's a need for taking care of our health. There's a need for love, for intimacy. There's even a need for respect. We want to feel respected almost as much as we want to feel loved. And God knows that we need these things. Do you know why? He made us. He made us and he knows what we need. Not just as humans, but as individuals. Because some of the things I need are not some of the things that you need. There's bad news, though. The devil also knows what you need. And he's really good at learning people. And he will do whatever he can to entice us to take care of those needs for ourselves <coughs> and ignore God in the process. The first way he does this is by trying to convince us that there is something in our lives that we lack. Let's say somebody needs money to pay their rent. God knows they need the money. He knows if they don't pay the rent, they could get evicted. He knows all of these things. And if I'm that person and I'm obedient to God's will, and if God wants me living in that apartment or that house, he's going to find a way. He's going to show me how to pay for those things through his provision. The devil wants to convince us that this is not the truth, that God doesn't know that we need the money or that God doesn't care that we're living where we're living or that God just is ignoring us. But he won't call God a liar to our face, especially Christians, because Christians, we know God doesn't lie. He does it very subtly. He's going to come up with a completely non-biblical but sort of maybe a little biblical idea, and he'll put it in our heads. You know, God helps those who help themselves. 
How many of you had parents that said that? How many of you are parents who've said that? My mother, that was one of her favorite phrases. Mom, can you help me do this? God, love, God helps those who help themselves, Joe. You do it yourself. And she didn't always do that. But this is one of those big, like people think this is a verse in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Because it sounds good. But it's not. And the devil will use something that sounds kind of holy and biblical, and then he'll combine it with some opportunity to get whatever we need without relying on God. I'm walking down the street, and I find an envelope, and it has money in it. It's enough money to cover my rent. Well, God wants me to have this money. No, he doesn't. God wants you to turn that money in. God wants you to find the person who lost that money because guess what? That person needs that money. It's not just for you to keep. But the devil will say, see that envelope? God's providing for you. By taking from somebody else, but he's providing for you. Maybe you'll be offered a job that helps you to earn the rent money, but you know that it is a job that would be displeasing to the Lord. And the question that we must always ask ourselves is do I trust God to provide for this need? Another temptation that we face as human beings is this constant barrage of messages that tells us we deserve to be happy. How many of you have ever heard an advertisement? Ever. Buy this thing and you will be happier. Right? This will fulfill your need. We ought to do what feels good as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Right? Doesn't that sound good? Do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting somebody else. And then you're fine. And see, when we add that little caveat, that little, as long as you don't hurt everybody else, it sounds like a wonderfully Christian idea because Christians, we're not supposed to hurt anybody, right? And the devil uses that subtlety. He uses that little half-truth. He uses that little bit of God. And he twists it. And he shapes it and he molds it into something that we end up believing and acting on because we're not trusting the Lord. We hear this temptation, this whole do what you want as long as you don't hear about it. We, we hear this temptation a lot in response to people's sexual desires. And God created us as sexual beings. I don't know if you knew that or not. But God created us to have sex, it's an, it's an incredibly intimate activity that unites a man and a woman. According to God's plan in Genesis, the two become one flesh. That's what that means for those of you who've never had it interpreted for you before. The two become one flesh. But the devil is good at twisting God's plan and convincing us that we put too many limits on ourselves. 
See if you recognize any of these temptations, any of these suggestions. Well, I mean, I, I know you're not supposed to have sex before marriage, but what, don't, doesn't God want us to have sex at least once to see if we're compatible? I've heard that. And it starts to devolve. It starts to go lower and lower and baser and baser. Well, as long as you're having consensual sex with an adult, it doesn't matter who they are and it doesn't matter what you do. Watching porn and pleasuring yourself doesn't hurt anybody. In fact, it's healthy. God made me this way and God doesn't make mistakes. You ever hear any of those? Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And we know that this serpent in Genesis chapter 3 is the same as the devil because he's described that way all the way at the other end of the book in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. The devil is crafty. And this word crafty here in Genesis chapter 3 means shrewd. It means clever. It means subtle. He's not going to tempt you with something that he knows you won't be tempted by. He would never do that. He is too crafty. He's too smart for that. He is going to tempt you in ways that make sin seem sensible. He is going to tempt you in ways that make sin more attractive to you than obedience to God is. This is how the devil tempts us. This is how the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. And it's the way he tempts us. He wants you to think that sin is good. And next week, we're going to go through the remaining temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. And we're going to be continuing to talk about temptation and sin. And did you know that temptation and sin are two different things? Yes, they are. We're going to talk about temptation and sin. And we're going to talk about it again next week because temptation is relentless. Temptation happens every second of every day of every year for the rest of your life. And because temptation is relentless, we need to know how to deal with it. And the way we deal with temptation is to fight. Now, we don't like that in church very much. You're not supposed to fight anything, but we're supposed to fight temptation. And next week, we're going to talk about the tools and the weapons that God gives us to fight temptation so that temptation does not become sin. Those are the things we're going to talk about because knowing how to resist the temptation of the devil. And this may sound like a little hyperbole, but it's the truth. Learning to resist temptation is the difference between life and death. 
And I'm not just talking about our physical life and death. I'm talking about our eternal life and death. I hope that you will join us. I hope that you will not be too scared to continue listening about temptation because it is, it's not. It's not a great topic, but it's something we need to know about as a church, as individuals. Would you pray with me? Merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have provided an entire universe. You've provided everything on earth so that we might be fed, we might be clothed, we might have shelter, we might love, we might find that person with whom you want us to be intimate. Father, you provide all of these things and so many times it is so hard when we hear messages, when we hear these things that make sin sound attractive, that make it sound preferable to you. Father, help us to resist temptation. You've given us the tools, you've given us a way out of temptation. Father, when we fall into temptation this week, remind us to pray. Remind us to turn to your word. Remind us to turn away from the temptation and to look into your face and see what is good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of us are struggling with temptation. Some of us are struggling with how we fight temptation. How do we not fall into sin? I want to tell you that the very first step is to, to ask God to forgive you for the sins that you've not asked forgiveness for yet. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you as it filled Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will fight for you when you are tempted. Go this week. Pray forgiveness. Pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. Pray for each other. God bless you.